God, we love you. And we're grateful for you. We're grateful for the time we get to spend together every week, diving into the word together to be able to to hear you and to be able to seek you, to be able to be shaped and challenged and convicted by your word. And so, God, we we are just in awe of you, especially during this Advent season as we look back and we see all that you have done. God, I just pray that you would, you would once again speak to us through your word, that you would speak through me. Would the words that come out of my mouth be your words for your people today? God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are uh, in our Advent series. I don't really have a name for it. It's just the Advent series that we're talking about. Uh, and uh, we're kind of on a little movement, right? We've been kind of moving through Old Testament prophecies to talk about What does the Old Testament say about the coming Messiah? What does it say? What is it showing us? What is it telling us about this this Messiah that was going to come? And first week, we talked about that we see in Isaiah chapter 9 a promise of his coming. We, We see Isaiah from God saying, look, the Messiah is going to come. Uh, Into this darkness, into this fearful gloom, it says in chapter 8, into all of this. A light has shined. The sun is born. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right, we see that this, this coming Messiah is going to bring light into darkness. It's going to bring hope into hopelessness. We see that the, and the, the last part, my favorite part of this whole chapter is this last verse that we read. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is not left up to anything else. This is nothing we need to do to help speed along the coming Messiah, the zeal of the Lord Almighty himself will accomplish this. God is going to do this. This is going to happen. The Messiah is going to come. We went from the promise of his coming in Isaiah chapter 9 to the promise of his life in Isaiah chapter 11. We looked at some of the marks of what this Messiah was going to look like. What was his, what was his life going to be? We saw that he was going to, to have the Holy Spirit on him, that he would be someone who would contend for the weak. He would love righteousness, and he would bring a kingdom of peace. Now, we see all of this about his, his life, some of, the, some of the marks of the Messiah, if you will, according to Isaiah chapter 11. This week, we're going to skip ahead. We're going to stay in Isaiah uh, for a little bit, probably just for this week, but we're going to stay in Isaiah. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, so if you want to go there with me, Isaiah chapter 53, and we kind of continue on this line of what is the Old Testament teaching us and telling us about the coming Messiah. We've gone from the, this promise of his birth, the promise of his coming, to the promise of the life that he would live, and I think Isaiah 53 really can talk about the promise of kind of the why and the how. This is the promise of the coming Messiah, how he would save. We know the Messiah is going to save. That's the whole point of a Messiah. How does he do it? We do it with his death and in his resurrection. And so Isaiah chapter 53 is where we're going to be this morning. We'll start at verse 1. We're just going to read through all of it. So if you want to read with me, I'm sorry I forgot to to mark down the page in our pew Bibles. But um, yeah, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message and to whom? Has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. That should sound familiar from last week. He had no beauty of majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. 
Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, this is probably not where, you, where you're expecting me to go on Christmas, I know. But I think as we look at what the Old Testament is going to tell us about the Messiah, I think we have to keep moving in what it's telling us. It's telling us that this Messiah is going to come. It's going to be a son. His name is going to be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's telling us that this Messiah is going to be one who, who knows and has the Holy Spirit, who, who contends for the weak, who loves righteousness, who, who brings a kingdom of peace, but it's also telling us the how. How does this happen? How does, how does Jesus, we know Jesus now as the Messiah, how does Jesus do this? Now, some things I think we need to look at here and notice, mainly this, I want us to look, first of all, how, how Jesus was described here in this passage. First of all, I want to look at how he was described by the people who, who are kind of around, if you will. Think about this. In the first few verses, we see that Jesus uh, had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Right? He, was, he was nothing desirable in his appearance. Verse 3 says that he was despised, he was rejected by mankind. People hid their faces for him, they held him in low esteem. But then look at how, look at how the author describes the Messiah. Look at, the, look at kind of how he describes him. Verse 7 describes Jesus as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep. Verse 10 talks about Jesus as an offering for sin. Now, what is, what is going on here, right? What's going on here is the author is taking us back even further in history than we already were. Right? We are sitting right now in the book of Isaiah about 700 years before Jesus would come. The author is taking us back mentally all the way back 
to the time of Exodus, to the time of Moses and Aaron, where, where God instituted these sacrifices, sacrifices that, that made people clean, that were, honestly, the whole sacrificial system is probably too deep just to go into just this morning. But here's the sacrificial system basically promoted this. This is what the sacrificial system was there to teach God's people. Number one, God is holy. Number two, we are sinful. Number three, God has made a way to be a holy God with his people. This is a sacrificial system in a nutshell. God is holy, we are not. But God has made a way for us to be able to meet and to be together. And it is through the sacrifice of, at that time, lambs. Day by day, year by year, people were confronted with this reality. We need something or someone to pay for our sins. All right, but these, these lambs, this, this, if you turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, uh, you see that this, these lambs, they were just kind of a temporary solution. Right, you get to, to, to chapter 10 in the book of Hebrews. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is possible for the blood of bull, it is impossible, I'm sorry, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's Hebrews chapter 10. That's a New Testament passage, but really shedding light on, on why this whole sacrificial system had to be in place in the first place. It was not there to, to do the cleansing, right? It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, right? We needed a, a better sacrifice to be able to take away our sins. But the sacrificial system was there to show us three things. God is holy. We are not, but God provided a way. Those three things. We are, God is holy, we are not, but God provided a way. I mean, we, we know and understand that the Messiah was coming to save us from our sins. I'm not sure that the people in that time really understood what that actually meant. I'm not sure they knew what it meant for the Messiah to come and save you know, here in Isaiah 53, I think we have, we have, we have, we see here almost what it means for, for the Messiah to be the sacrifice that would last forever, right? Not just this temporary sacrifice of lambs and bulls that, that have no power, Hebrews chapter 10 says, to cleanse us from sin. Not just that kind of sacrifice, but we, but what kind of sacrifice would it be? And I think we see a few things in here that allow us to kind of see the sacrifice of Jesus through the lens of Isaiah. Here's, here's the first thing. The first thing that we see in here is a glimpse of the incarnation. We see a glimpse of the incarnation. What does that word mean, incarnation? Uh, incarnation, just a word that describes for us God putting on flesh and dwelling among us. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That is, that is if you want a running definition of incarnation, that's it. Just go to John 1, 14. That's incarnation. God put on flesh, made his dwelling among us. What does that mean? Does it mean that God ceased to be God? No. Does it mean that God became fully human? Absolutely. So you're telling me God was fully God and fully human? Yes. <laughs> it's exactly what I'm telling you this morning. God is both. That is, that is incarnation. 
that God himself came down, put on human flesh, was still 100% God and 100% human, and came here for us. I mean, you look at Isaiah chapter 53, and you just see kind of the humanity of Jesus. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. No beauty or majesty, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, he was rejected. We, we, We see this, we see Jesus, we see the Messiah coming in human, as a human. Not even just in human, I don't even want to say in human form, because it's not just human form. He was fully human. We see glimpses of the incarnation here in in Isaiah chapter 53. We see that he is here, he is on earth. He felt like we do. He laughed like we do. He cried like we do. He loved like we do. He was angry like we get. He was fully human, but he was also fully God. Both of those have to be true if the purpose of why he came can be fulfilled. They have to be true. I mean, listen to Philippians chapter 2 talk about Jesus, talk about the coming Jesus. It's it's describing Jesus here. It says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He came, he took on human flesh, and like you hear me say often, he came and he lived the life that we could not live. He came, he lived the life we couldn't live. He lived a sinless life. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, He was tempted in every way that we are, yet he did not sin. He came and he lived the life that we could not live. That is a very important piece to the how of, of how the Messiah is to save. He came in human, he came as a human, fully God, fully human, put on flesh, dwelt among us, and lived the life that we could not live. All right, we see in Isaiah chapter 53 here a glimpse of the incarnation, but we also catch more than just a little glimpse of his suffering. All right, you, you keep reading here in verse, uh, verse 4 through 9. Sorry, let me get back to Isaiah. I'm in Philippians. Uh, verse 4 through 9. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people he was punished he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth we see just the suffering of the coming messiah here he was crushed he was afflicted he was oppressed Right, he, he was cut off from the land of the living. Right, we see these, these words. This is not just kind of taking it lightly, the suffering of Jesus. This is telling us exactly what he was going to go through. Right, he was oppressed. He was stricken. He was, he was, he was cut off. Right, he, he was punished. He was pierced. He was crushed. Just listen to the words there and think about just what we know now looking back of Jesus. 
You read the story, we, we like to call it the Easter story, but we, we read the story of Jesus' crucifixion, and this is exactly what we see. We see Jesus just being railroaded through the court system. We see him being just crushed and punished, and we see all of this being put on him. We even see him being pierced. This is, this is the suffering of Jesus. We catch a, catch a glimpse of this suffering, but I want you to, to hear this. He came to do it for us. He came to suffer for us. I want you to see this. When, when we see this, he took up our pain. He took up our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, that was on him. All right, we, we see all of these things. By his wounds, we are healed. We've all gone astray. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, verse 8, he was punished. So why? He came to die the death that we deserve to die. You hear me say that often. He came to live the life that we couldn't live and to die the death that we deserve to die. You and I deserved the punishment for our sin. It's past tense because Jesus has already paid that punishment. We deserved it. Jesus took it. We deserved the punishment for our sin. Jesus took it upon himself. He came to die in our place, in our sin. We were deserving of the wrath of God, but Jesus took that upon himself those other sacrifices, the lambs, the sheep, the bulls, the birds, those were all temporary solutions. But Jesus comes with a permanent solution and says, I will take your sin, I will take the transgressions, I will take all of this, and I will cover it with my blood. All right, we see the suffering of Jesus here. That same passage in Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The God of the universe fully human, humbled himself to death on a cross. Just let that soak in a little bit. And this is, this is sort of the, the how. We catch a glimpse of his suffering, but we also, at the end of this, catch a glimpse of his resurrection. I mean, verse, you get to, to verse 11. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. After all the suffering, he is going to see, once again, the light of life, and he will be satisfied. He's talking about his, his resurrection. The Messiah that's coming would not only be killed for our sin, but he would live once again. What is this looking forward to? We, we've, we've been talking about this all week. We've talked about kind of the history, right? This is what he's speaking into history. He's going back, and he's kind of comparing the coming Messiah and this sacrifice that the coming Messiah would make to the old school sacrificial system that is in Exodus that was with Moses and, and Aaron and all this kind of things, comparing the suffering of Jesus to that in history. But what is it looking forward to? This is looking forward to the gospel. This is, this is the gospel, that Jesus would come, live the life that we couldn't live, and die the death that we deserve to die. Why? So that we might be with God forever. God is holy, we are not, but God has made a way. Amen. 
God is holy. In him is no sin. That's what scripture says. We are not. In us is sin. (laughs) Scripture says. But God has made a way. And that way is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, this coming Messiah. I don't know if there's anything else that brings joy other than knowing that the Messiah has come for me and you. That is a, that's a joyful thing. I, I love this. This is the gospel. This passage written 700 years before Jesus, the, the whole reason for Christmas, says that he came and lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserved to die, and he was raised to life once again. Why? Isaiah 53, 5, by his wounds we are healed. Philippians chapter 2, once again, uh, starting in verse 10, here's, or verse 9, sorry. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knees should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father the glory of God the Father that, that here's, here's the why so that everyone would come to know him everyone would come to know him that we would live with him forever Jesus' resurrection was proof that his, the message that he brought was true that his death did, in fact, secure our forgiveness. His resurrection did, in fact, defeat death. And that we can have new life in him. We can be certain in our ultimate resurrection as well. We will be raised to life once again. The book of John, as Jesus is going to be baptized. I love this. John, at the book of John, Jesus is kind of entering the scene. He's going to be baptized. And John just looks at Jesus and he says this. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. This is the why. This is the why. This is what Isaiah is pointing to. Isaiah says, look, he's, he's it's like, a, like a sheep to be slaughtered. Sacrificial lamb. And John, I, I love this, John doesn't introduce Jesus as like, this is the Messiah. This is the, the coming king. This guy is going to be amazing. He says, look, this is the Lamb of God. He comes to take away the sin of the world. What is John talking about? John is looking back to the sacrificial system. I mean, this is, this is, this is what Isaiah is pointing at. This is the prophetic lens that Isaiah is speaking about here. Like, look, this Messiah is going to come. This Messiah is going to live this life that we talked about last week. He's going to be someone who just, he has the Holy Spirit. He knows the Holy Spirit. He's going to come and defend the weak. He's going to do all of that. But at the end of all that, he is going to suffer. He is going to die. And then he is going to be raised to life again. What is that point? It's pointing at the Gospels. It's pointing at Jesus. Jesus came, lived the life that you and I can't live. He died the death that you and I deserved to die, and he was raised to life once again. Fulfilling not only the prophecy of of Isaiah, but many more. And fulfilling the will of God. Why? So that you and I can be healed. So that the punishment that he took, we wouldn't have to take. So that God and us. God is holy, we are not. God made a way. Isaiah tells us that way is Jesus. That way is the Messiah who took our sins 
and our iniquities upon himself, satisfied them forever. So that we might live and be in relationship with God for all of eternity. I think that, if, I mean, that's what Christmas is all about. Amen. Yeah, we think about Christmas as just this baby in a manger, and we, we, it's fun to think about, it's cute to think about. But that baby in a manger came for a purpose. The baby in the manger was not just there to be this cute little boy. <laughs> and in fact, this Isaiah kind of alludes to the fact that he probably wasn't even that cute to begin with. <laughs> but he says, it's not what he's for. He was here to live the life, perfect life that we can live. To take the iniquities of you and me, put them on himself. To die to be raised to life. And that by his wounds, by this baby in the manger, by his wounds, we can be healed. This is the message of Christmas. This is the gospel. This is what the Old Testament is looking at and pointing at as it looks toward the coming Messiah. I'm excited to continue to look. We're gonna kind of continue. Where do we go from here, right? We're kind of at the end, right? No, we're not. No, not at the end. We're going to look next week about just the, the kingdom of God that is foretold in the Old Testament that Jesus brings. And then the day after Christmas, we get to look for his second coming, the second advent. I'm so excited to continue this series. I'm excited. There's a lot of good stuff in the Old Testament, huh? Amen. 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 Let's pray. God, we love you. And we are grateful for you. We are just grateful to be in your presence this morning, grateful for, for Christmas, grateful for the reason for it, grateful for Advent, grateful that you came. And God, as we, look, as we look at your coming, we also look forward to your second coming. God, I just pray that, that this week as we continue to process what Advent is all about, would you just continue to speak, continue to move, continue to guide, would you just help us to reflect this week on, on the why? and the how that we've just talked about. God, this, this why, why did your son have to come? He came to, to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death we deserve to die, to raise again so that we might be with you. This is the why of Christmas, God. Will we not lose sight of the why? It's easy sometimes, God, to just focus on the coming, focus on the story, focus on the baby in the manger, but, but man, there's a, a deeper purpose for all of that. Would that just ring through our minds, ring through our hearts this week as we go forward? Would that just encourage us to go out and to be bold, to make a difference for you because of who you are and all that you've done? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me just pray a blessing over you. Just hold your hands out and receive this blessing. May our God... The God who loved you enough to come. Go with you and ahead of you this week. May he give you courage. May he give you peace. May he just remind you of his love and the hope that you have in him. May you take that with you and go make a difference wherever he has put you. You are there for a purpose. Make a difference wherever you may find yourself. Go in grace, go in peace. Go with the joy of Christ this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for coming this morning, everybody.